Okay, welcome to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico, and joining me is... Scotty Hertz, and I've had three cans of Prime, and I'm ready ready to rock. So <laughs> if you hear my head literally explode in approximately 20 minutes, no, I'm just kidding. I'd never touch that stuff. Six cans of Coke in every serving, the ca- <laughs> equivalent of caffeine, yeah. Yeah, if you ever if you ever said like I want to go on a Coca Cola binge, but I just don't have the time. <laughs> it's like, what are y'all thinking with this drink? I real I don't know what's going on. I want to ingest so much sugar and caffeine that I don't know what reality is anymore. <laughs> there was a time, but ours was Jolt Cola, and I'm sure that was. Oh, Jolt! Remember when Jolt Cola was the Antichrist? Oh man, the, the parents thought we they were... put coffee in the cola. We were a Satanist. But... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's kind of kind of a rough week for Satanists. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> anyway, Open Source is a CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show, and you can find us here every Thursday at 5 p.m. as we talk about the latest news items from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and around the world, and we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians, which this week will be Debbie Chapman who is a Kitchener City Councilor and the NDP candidate for the TBD Kitchener Centre by-election. She's going to tell us why the writing needs to stay orange when that election is finally called. That is going to be at the bottom half of the hour. Before that, we're going to talk about a few news items from last week, including malaria. You thought it was gone in North America and had been for 70 years, but uh, new locally grown cases in Florida and Texas might make you think otherwise. And we're going to talk about potential cause. But first, uh, it was a very busy week for NATO business. Uh, There was a meeting of NATO in Lithuania. Uh, All your all your favorite uh, first world leaders were there. Joe Biden, Justin Trudeau. Yeah, the whole gang. Uh, This was against the backdrop, of course, of ongoing concerns with uh, the war in Ukraine. Also, some inter. NATO tensions uh, over the allowance of Sweden into the Union, uh, which seemed to have blown over pretty quickly because the one holdout seemed to be Turkey's uh, President Erdogan, who uh, was making a big deal about holding up Sweden's entry and then folded like uh, Superman on laundry day when Biden arrived. Uh, And then on top of that, this is against the backdrop of the announcement last week that uh, we're going to try and get on all these points. the announcement that the United States was giving cluster bombs to Ukraine uh, for the war effort against Russia, that was greeted with a lot of uh, discontent among NATO, who uh, think it's a, understandably so a danger to let c- cluster bombs into the war space. I mean, Russia is using them. Uh, in fact, Russia has been accused of essentially committing war crimes in their use. But now the United States is letting uh, Ukraine have access to their cluster bomb munitions so scotty where do you want to go first with nato stuff well let's start with turkey not wanting to let sweden in, and then all of a sudden they did mm-hmm. there's a little bit of a story there in that their request for some f-16s from the usa mm-hmm. came through so there's been some traffic to suggest once that happened uh erdogan's not as worried about the so-called pkk sympathizers that seem to be <laughs> you know <laughs> stirring it up in in Sweden. That's all forgotten now because he now has the planes that he wants, which he can probably bomb Kurds with 
uh, you know, totally separate story from this, but also together because they're a member of NATO. But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Erdogan has it in for the Kurds, be they whatever side of the border they are on, whether they're Syrian or Iraqi or straight across in uh, Rojavia. But that, you know, not to get too deep into that, but he's got his <laughs> F-16s now. So Sweden is all of a sudden welcome. Uh, yeah. So cluster bombs, nasty, nasty business. I mean, all artillery is nasty, but cluster bombs are particularly insidious. Uh, and as you said, the, uh, the U.S. was screaming war crime every time Russia used them. But the, I mean, there there's massive problems with these things, and that's why uh, you know what was it 120 countries signed off on the, uh, that agreement that said you know we're we're not going to use those. And to the credit, I guess Trudeau and and um, UK have both said you know we're not going to we we stand by it. we we're, we're never going to we don't we'll never support using cluster munitions anywhere. Mm-hmm. But of course, the countries that don't didn't sign off USA. Uh, I don't think Russia has, and if they, it doesn't matter, they would just do whatever. Ukraine is another one, so they're gonna they're gonna keep using them, and they're terrible because they they have a really bad uh, dud rate. So this a cluster bomb, or if a singular cluster bomb doesn't go off, you've got this massive uh, device with tons of little bomblets, as they call in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But supposedly the dud rate is about twenty percent. So if one of these things blows up, then there's all this stuff left over, and the the last place where it had it was. I, they use them in a lot of places, but in terms of relating directly to the U.S., they use them in Iraq, mm-hmm. killed civilians over and over again. And this is the problem: is that they're saying Ukraine is like, well, we're using it on what's our land, so it's going to be okay. But the problem is, when this, whenever this is over, it's going to kill you know soldiers that are moving into that area. Mm-hmm. It's you know, eventually will kill civilians or anybody uh, in in those spaces. Plus, they're particularly nasty, I and mean, that's why they use them, right? But it mm-hmm. sounds like they're not going to serve the purpose that Ukraine wants them for. They want to supposedly clear trenches with them, but they're not. I mean, they're just they're used for wide open demolition and destruction. So bad idea, bad. idea. But they're going to do it. So yeah, they they rain. Uh, or I, I heard this expression used that they create steel rain. So the mother mm-hmm. bomb blows up and it rains all these little bombs over the size of a of a football field. So basically if you're within 50 feet of one of these things going off, you're dead. Um, 86,500 civilian casualties from cluster bombs uh, that many. since World War II. Yeah. yeah. Um, and like you said, you know, the, the, every one in five is a dud. Um, so it's, it's going to create these massive problems after. I mean, look, we hundred and, 10 years later we're still digging up leftover munitions and unexploded ordinances and mines from mm-hmm. world war one in places in france and uh you know in the netherlands and you know wherever there was a no man's land you can probably still find some unexploded bombs and shells yep. so yeah i mean it the, the big problem is the problems it creates later how you're, you're walking around minding your own business it's been peace for 10 years and you know you, you step wrong and yeah it, it just the excuse is, well, Russians are using them. Well, you know, we're going to have to clear minefields after the fact anyway. It's just, it, it looks gross. It looks gross, gross, gross. And it's just, you know, you won't let Ukraine have fighter planes with like smart missiles, but you'll let them have the cluster bombs. That mm. that doesn't quite jibe. Um. So, yeah, it, it wasn't, I found it very interesting and very unusual to see, like, especially for Justin Trudeau, who doesn't like to poke the, 
the hornet's nest to to even even when he does have the backing of a, a NATO mob, um, to to yeah. to come out to come right out and say like this is bad, this is a bad idea. But I, on the other hand, by you know this was before the weekend, and we were talking about topics like on Monday. I'm, I'm actually surprised that NATO the NATO summit ended and you know nobody said boo about cluster bombs, and uh, it just seemed to be a a brief hiccup in the otherwise normal, I I, I don't know, uh, flight jacket broship of of NATO. <laughs> yeah. So and and that is what's going on. It sounds like uh, Zelensky wasn't happy initially the the fact that uh, the Ukraine isn't going to be admitted. He, I, it sounds like he was just expecting to be admitted. Like you need to let us in. But I mean, one of mm. the key problems with that is going to be. As we know, with Article Five of the NATO agreement, is like if if one nation is attacked. Mm-hmm. So even if it's it's, uh, and this is a possibility, with they're concerned about like the smaller Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, if uh, any one of those are attacked, then all of NATO is in. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so the the problem being that if 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 Ukraine is is allowed in now, then it's like it is as as Putin and and uh, the Russian side have been saying. It's like well, you see, it's NATO attacking. NATO are attacking us. So we, you know, we can't, they just can't do it right now. But I mean, in everything but that, NATO is definitely on side. And it's sort of this, well, I, I wouldn't call it piecemeal, but the, the NATO countries are, are backing Zelensky all the way. Mm-hmm. I don't know about the entire list. It's 31 nations. I'm sure some of the smaller ones are doing what they can do. But uh, it's, everyone is pretty much on side by this. So is, is it a proxy war? as has been said, in a way, sort of. But, I mean, going back to the cluster bombs for a second, it's it's kind of like, it sounds like there's a bit of an ammunition shortage going on as well. I don't know if it's mm-hmm. worldwide or like all shortages or just NATO. Mm-hmm. But there, when I heard about the cluster bombs, it was like, there was a bit of like, well, you know, we've got these in the back room kind of lying around. Well, you just use these, right? Because nobody wants them, right? But right. yet, somebody is still manufacturing them, so... I mean, you could name any. I th- what, is, what was it this past week? Was it this the U.S. finally got rid of this, fi- this last chemical weapon? Last of the chemical weapons. Well, yeah, the, so, the White House says. Uh, yeah, that's what they say. You know, that's the usual. That's what they say. But somewhere like, oh, we forgot about this bunker from 1960, and we'll open the door. I'm like, oh, now you just use these. Hopefully not, right? But it's you, there's no guarantees in these things, and and who there are obviously lots of players out there that are probably manufacturing everything from dirty nukes to what have you so who knows but uh mm-hmm. yeah so on the face of it it's it's uh that's not good but it you know it, i i saw an announcement today it was something like the the g7 is coming out as supporting ukraine mm-hmm. and i don't know if that's to sort of boy the uh like it's sort of a f- piece of nato is can because they're not you know bound by the same um agreement right so g7 being an economic body can say whatever they want right like so mm. they're like yes we support you so maybe well, i think helps. i think the only difference between nato and g7 is japan so i don't yeah i guess maybe maybe japan was feeling left out i don't know the what what i find interesting about this though is the um i mean this has been a diplomatic success i mean no matter how you feel about supporting war efforts and getting cluster bombs out of mothballs, you know, having Finland in NATO and then having Sweden in 
Um, I think I heard somebody say that essentially doubles the border, the length of the border between mm-hmm. Russia and NATO. And it also gives you some more protection on the Arctic side where Russia has been flexing its muscle. Uh, maybe not so much recently, but in the pl- in, in the past, Russia's um, deigned to, to think that they have a right or first right of refusal for, for first right of refusal for anything going on in the Arctic. So, I mean... I think it's important to note that um, this is, I mean, this has been a diplomatic victory for NATO. Um, if it is a proxy, um, it, it has been extremely successful for NATO. You know, mm-hmm. talk, you're going back, you know, to Trump running for for president the first time in 2016. He's like, what is this NATO thing for? I don't get it. Why do we have it around? <laughs> it's like, well, NATO has sort of proved its, why why nato still exists why it's an important thing um and i think this has also been a a good week for joe biden if you're looking for um you know as he's looking to re get you know to enter re-election if he, if he wants to um prove himself as as or prove his value the foreign policy realm has typically been the the realm of the u.s president as opposed to domestic affairs which are supposed to be largely left to congress but in this, you know, a lot of hay has been made about the fact that all like pretty much all weekend people are like, well, what are you going to do when you get to Lithuania? And, you know, what are you going to do about Erdogan? Because Erdogan's like throwing up, you know, hands to about mm-hmm. Sweden and, and Biden's just sort of laid back. It's like, yeah, we'll figure it out. No problem. It's, you know, it's it speaks to the fact that, you know, uh, soft power works and you can have like a big big fat loudmouth like donald trump talking about throwing his weight around but you know here's joe biden getting things done barely you know <laughs> talking above a whisper um you know he shows up at nato and stuff starts happening Tur- i mean no matter how uh, you can make up obviously a, a, a comment about how icky it is to give turkey fighter planes which they're probably going to use against their enemies but mm. you know that that does solve the diplomatic problem about getting sweden in um, you know, it, it's a united alliance that, you know, just a few years after one of the biggest threats to NATO was the U.S. president. Um, you know, you have this potential diplomatic problem with Zelensky and he's like tweeting before going to NATO. It's like, boy, NATO better give me what I want or else. And then, you know, he comes out of a couple of meetings and he's like, boy, that NATO summit was pretty was pretty lit. And mm. I'm paraphrasing, of course, but uh <laughs> thank you for the weapons that's what he's always like thank you thank you for the weapons and you for the weapons you know and he's like hugging trudeau and and you know biden's patting him on the back biden also uh was patting king charles on the back near faux pas yeah uh that's all softening now they all seem to hug i don't remember like in the cold war days that was very you know just didn't happen but yeah, it's it's the new Cold War masculinity. It's mm. it's okay to hug. It's okay the to hug. It out. The, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, brother's yeah. hug, man. Yeah. That's right. Uh Buckingham Palace did say it was okay that uh Biden patted King Charles on the back. So no full This puppet. time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, everybody gets one, I guess. Um <laughs> although I dare I dare you to be on a rope line with King Charles and pat him on the back one day. How's it going? Uh see what Take happens. Down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Watch a bunch of guys in beaver pelt hats beat you up anyway. Like, is he Scottish? Get him. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, what's the next topic? Malaria. Sorry. But no laughing matter is malaria. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, 
it's been interesting in Florida, uh, a little bit in Texas, too. There have been a couple of cases of malaria. There's been about eight in all so far. And about six of those were in about a one-week period. And you may be thinking about, you know, less than a dozen cases of malaria in, in two U.S. states. What's the big deal? Well, it is a pretty big deal. Malaria had been eliminated in the United States in 1951. Any cases of malaria in the United States were 99.9% because somebody got infected overseas, usually in sub-Saharan Africa. Now, uh, it seems to be happening on U.S. shores. People who never left the United States getting cases of malaria. You have Miami-Dade County and uh, Manatee County in Florida having issued public health alerts on the matter. Uh, you have uh, Sarasota County in South Tampa. That's where six th- those several incidents in one week happened. And you got to be wondering, well, what the heck's going on in Florida that they have like half a dozen cases when they hadn't had a case of like, I guess, locally sourced malaria, if we're going to coin a term. They haven't had a locally sourced uh, case of malaria since 2003. Well, the cause may be climate change. And uh, we're kind of seeing that a bit locally, the rise in black legged ticks here, which Mm. carry Lyme disease and other disease. Um, I'm not sure how many people watch the Board of Health meetings like I do, but um, one of the reports, <laughs> last month's meeting was that um, they, or one of the details on one of the reports was they stopped collecting um, reports of black like ticks. They used to collect, they used to collect reports. You would find a tick mm-hmm. and you would tell public health, but now they don't do that anymore because there are too many reports to keep track of. So uh, that's another instance where climate change may be affecting the spread of disease. So um we kind of have a series of issues here where we have climate change affecting our skies all that haze from the wildfire smoke but i mean this is also an issue where um we are facing the climate crisis um and uh it's not getting as much attention because i, I you know it's it's i guess it's microscopic it's not the orange the orange gunk in the sky that we, mm-hmm. we, we've seen in the last couple of weeks yeah, I mean, there's a few things converging here. It should be noted that when they got rid of uh, malaria in the 50s, it was from spraying the heck out of everything with a well, that's true, new, yeah. new wonderful product called DDT. So, I mean, it worked. But, of course, as we know, the repercussions from that were huge. Now, of course, they're going to ramp up spraying again. But they're not necessarily relying on the solutions of science because, and this goes directly back to DeSantis in more than one way, one mm. being that... There's some pretty high-profile public health positions that are open right now in Florida mm-hmm. because people are running away from. Okay, I don't know if they're running away, but they're they're <laughs> leaving the they're leaving the firm. Let's say due to well, I don't know, maybe Desantis among other reasons. Yeah, uh, I I I I think it was the head of epidemiology. I was going to say the province, but the state is just mm-hmm. gone. So you know, the, this is the point person that you need, and I think some of that is because they know that they're not being listened to, right? Mm-hmm. It'll be, you know, one of the things that's somewhat ironic about this is one of the treatments for malaria is hydroxychloroquine. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you know, you have to wonder if the conspiracy people will be like, "Oh no, you should get the Novavax vaccine for <laughs> malaria." You know, it'll be like opposite land because that's how they roll. But this mm-hmm. is the kind of crap that they're dealing with down there. And of course, there's a fresh Bill Gates conspiracy has come out of this whole thing. 
that this that something to do with I don't know, maybe you know all the details, Adam. I just sort of skimmed it. GMO mosquitoes with serial numbers. Like I have no time for this stuff, but there's a lot of people believe in this that Bill Gates. Why is there malaria now? When it was gone, it's they don't want it because they don't believe in climate change, and they certainly don't believe in public health. Mm-hmm. And it has to be Bill Gates and his GMO mosquitoes that he's released. It's like what? What? I don't know. Well, it goes back to like the most innocuous things, which is that the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has been like one of their one of the things that's been working on is malaria eradication in more impoverished places around the world. That's that was one of their pet projects. So if there's a malaria outbreak in the United States, naturally, Bill Gates is involved because the whole covid thing didn't work or something. (laughs) It's gone. (laughs) Right. It's just the flu. Yeah. yeah 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 it's all gone um yeah the the, the the bill gates thing is entirely separate but i mean the the, the undermine of public health thing is is definitely real because like who does this work on a day-in basis um on terms of like tropical disease control and it's as true here as it is in florida it's the public health units it's the public health units that says hey be on the lookout for this it's the public health units that you know manages like larvae control here because we had a problem with the West Nile for a few years until we started getting, mm-hmm. uh, we started having procedures to make sure that we can control the the mosquito population on our own. Fortunately, you, you don't hear a lot about West Nile anymore. But yeah, it, it, they have undermined public health um, in a lot of positions, including like the the chief medical officer. I can't remember the, the exact title of the position. Is this guy who is like one of the doctors against masks who was you know part of that big event in front of the supreme court in may 2020 it's sort of like the height of the pandemic he's in charge of all public health in florida oh is it the surgeon general that's what they yeah, call the them, surgeon right? general that's yeah. right Thank of the you. state not the country yeah. of the state yeah no the, yeah. <laughs> the surgeon general of the it united sounds states a weird title but that's how they roll down there yeah and they have a special uniform too they're literally a general they have a uniform oh yeah isn't that weird like the guy making the masks at early COVID there. Yeah. yeah well, you know what's like, weird? Why is he wearing a uniform? Because he's the Surgeon General. Yeah, I mean, it's weird. The Surgeon General has a uniform, but the Attorney General doesn't. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Anyway, uh, that's a topic for another time. Uh, they've undermined, like, the, the, the legit public health officials. Like, as you say, like, these vacancies are kind of galling. This, you know, the Florida's Bureau of Epidemiology doesn't have, like, an administrator. Well, mm. <laughs> kind of import kind of an important position like just in general you know because if you think about all the things public health does all the things our public health unit does like from monitoring restaurants and nail salons i mean there was a hepatitis outbreak in a local nail salon here a couple of years ago like that's what public health does but if you can't attract the talent if you can't get people to work in a position because if something gets bad enough and it doesn't suit you know the the governor's you know political ambitions and by the way that's the other thing too is that you have this public health crisis there was a flood in florida a couple months ago um in in the midst of all these crises desantis is nowhere in florida he's in ohio and he's not ohio iowa and and new hampshire where he's running for president so yeah it's i mean it's not to the point of like terrible concern i mean again it's eight cases and you have sort of like these public health units that are sort of like have are on like a on a heightened alert level but i mean this isn't like the wildfire smoke this isn't like the the last time you're probably going to be dealing with this and these things if if you don't act on them 
only get worse like our tick problem like the mm-hmm. west nile problem um and and scientists are saying like you know it's hard to to find like correlation between climate change and things like this but there was a, a scientific report i think it was out of one of the florida universities that said like they've been monitoring you know the migration of of disease carrying bugs and they've been moving away from the equator where it's like getting hotter to places where it's cooler which means heading further north and further south or heading further up into mountains so it's something they've been able to track over like a century through the data so you know they've picked a i mean there's never a good time to uh embrace the dark ages but i mean florida certainly seems to have picked a an even worse time to embrace uh, science denial and to have like one of the preeminent voices of science denial as their governor. Yeah, because the mentality is like right now the oceans in around Florida are about five degrees above normal. Yep, this is the trend: heat records smash, floods, landslides, all of that to do with climate change. But yet the logic would be, well, it's better for swimming because it's warmer. You know that that <laughs> yeah. that's that's the attitude, right? Yeah, yeah. But with DeSantis too, I mean, he completely changed his tune. Right, he went from like. Okay, we're gonna roll out the masks and vaccines to like because he needs to counter Trump at every turn now. Although Trump is pro-vaccine, weirdly, and yeah. I don't know, ironically or what, they probably saved his life when he had that rip roaring case of COVID. Yeah. But DeSantis is now, you know, trying to win over those people. And uh so he's he's given up on any semblance of public health science. It's just because, you know, he he needs to he needs to play that game it's and it shouldn't be a game but it it is right so it's just causing gonna cause more carnage as covid did and possibly malaria i think what's weird though and i'm sure you saw it adams one of the cases was in texas now texas is in the vicinity of florida but it's not near Mm -hmm. so how far has this spread is that indicative of you know there's this arc of malaria Mm. Uh, i don't know all the details of the texas case but it was again as you said off the top there i mean these were acquired in the u.s it wasn't from travel yeah i mean and people don't appreciate the fact that what is the deadliest animal on earth other than us it's mosquitoes yeah right yeah it killed it kills like a million people a year yeah so you know it's better get ready but if if they if they just keep embracing the anti you know anti-mask anti-vax anti-covid scientists are wrong public health is dumb global warming's not real then there's going to be a problem yeah whether it's a slow rolling problem or quick remains to be seen but it's coming that freight train's coming yeah to be continued we're gonna have to take a quick break though and we're gonna come right back with debbie chapman you are listening to open sources 12 here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. رسالت رسانه ها رنگ کردنه آش خالمه به پامه به پان همه با پای لنگ های داریم به پاکش نره مبارز هشتک گوشی نشکنه میگن چوب معلم و هرکی نخوره خره میگن اینجا گشنه ای ولی بهش پره زره میگن آبروی بین المللی مهمتره پس صورت ها سرخ میشن با نظام و چکش کش میاد روز هی دود میشه سود پول an Iranian rapper who has had his death sentence commuted to six years for having an opinion about something. 
probably talk for another day as well. Talk about a, you know, he he was going to be put to death, but he's going to get six years instead. Yeah. <laughs> I for, mean, <laughs> for singing rap and having opinions about things. I mean, I, it, the the charges are of course completely stupid. I just I I don't know how one goes from the extreme of death to well maybe he just do six years in prison that's okay i think international pre- pressure probably helped but well anyway, it, this, yeah 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 <laughs> the song is called the back sheet and there's a version of it on youtube if you want to see with uh subtitles in english what he's actually saying very interesting story and uh hopefully his six years will be shortened or commuted but it's not looking that way and he's uh, not the only one too yeah, it's, I mean, that's what's going on in Iran is kind of a mess to that. Yeah, but it, it's, it should be on the list of stuff we need to talk about. Uh, for now, though, we're going to keep things local. Uh, as I said at the top, there are a couple of by-elections going on in Ontario right now. One of them is not in Kitchener Centre, although they do have most of their candidates lined up. We had Ashlyn Clancy on uh, the Green Party candidate a couple of weeks ago. Her city council colleague, Debbie Chapman, is running for the NDP. And if you think it might be awkward in uh, Kitchener Kitchener City Council these days, uh, Debbie says it's not. But uh, in any event, uh, she is on the campaign trail too for the NDP. Uh, This is, of course, a riding that belonged to Laura May Lindo. Uh, She won in the last two elections. She was the NDP MP, stepped away uh, in order to essentially uh, enjoy some more, uh, a better work-life balance, I guess is a better way best way to put that so i mean there's a lot going on uh with the the party politics the the riding uh relations between city councils and the you know, government of ontario so we're going to try and cover as much ground as humanly possible with debbie chapman and we're going to start that interview right now all right debbie chapman thank you so much for joining us today Having me. uh for people who may not uh, I mean, you're you're in Kitchener, so uh, we're in Guelph. People may not be familiar with who Debbie Chapman is, so maybe could you just uh, sort of explain who you are to uh, our listeners and uh, uh, the 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 story of Debbie Chapman in maybe two minutes or less. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, thank you. So yes, I'm a. I guess my current job is I'm a city councillor in a downtown ward in Kitchener. Um, I've been in this seat at this in this seat for over four years, going on five years. Um, I was the first time I ran was in 2010, and I lost by one vote. Oh wow! Um, and then I ran again in 2018 and, and won quite substantially. Um, my other life, because counselors have other lives, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we weren't born. We didn't go to university <laughs> to become a counselor. Um, so in my other life, I actually teach at Laurier. I'm a political scientist. Um, I've been on contract there since 2009. Um, my PhD was from Western. Um, and uh, prior to that, I spent 14 years in Mexico. Um, started my undergraduate degree there in political science um, and um, taught in English as a second language. So I was um, raised in Kitchener, went to primary, secondary high school, and I'm here today. <laughs> so I, I'm quite familiar with the area. I've lived there most of my life. Um, and yeah, so that that's how I who I am. And as a city councillor, downtown ward councillor, I mean, uh, stories will come up, I'm sure, as we <laughs> interview. 
Well, let me just start with uh, thinking a bit more provincially because uh, the government did call uh, by-elections in two Ontario ridings for this month, the end of this month. Kitchener Centre wasn't one of them. Um, are, are you kind of disappointed by that? Or um, do you think that you know maybe having an, a by-election in, in the summer is, is maybe... Uh, or having at some point later in the year might be more beneficial just in terms of not even in terms of your chances, but just in terms of like get, highlighting some of the issues in Kitchener center. Yeah. Well, I think the reason it was called, it hasn't been called yet is because Laura May Lindell only officially stepped down last week. Hmm. So the province has six months to call that by-election. Whereas the other seats that are um, holding their by-elections at the end of July, they were vacated like four or five months ago. So I don't think there's um, the Conservatives still don't have a candidate that they've announced. Mm -hmm. um, and I assume that until they have one, um, the by-election will not be called. Mm -hmm. So it uh, doesn't surprise me that it hasn't been called yet. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the things interesting that has happened lately that's sort of at the intersection of your current job and the one you want is the expansion of strong mayor powers. Um like in Guelph, uh, our mayor, Cam Guthrie, got those powers. Kitchener's uh, mayor for Banwick got those powers. Uh, so, so just looking at things from your intersection, um, how do you think Mayor for Banwick sort of like handled that announcement and, and handled like the receipt of, of the powers? Has that been to your satisfaction as a politician? Well, he said that he um, he couldn't he doesn't foresee <clears throat> using them. Mm -hmm. um, but that doesn't mean that if there were a situation that would in his mind, require him using them that he wouldn't, right? So um, I, I don't want to judge what he does or doesn't do or how he responded. I'd be more inclined to say that I I think that um, strong mayor powers are, are a violation of the democratic process. Mm -hmm. I imagine that that comes, that that opinion sort of comes informed from your education, your political scientist, mm -hmm. uh, as well as your, you know, uh, I guess, hands-on experience as as a counselor um can you talk a bit about sort of from your point of view why the strong mayor powers are not going to like help kitchener or and uh, any municipality that has them sort of reach the the goals that they're they're supposed to reach well i think you know i think of my role as a city councillor is um really relaying the um concerns that residents have Mm. So it's not they're they're not it's just not me speaking as I sit at that council chamber in the council chambers, and um, I would think that the the role of the mayor is also to take um, seriously what what's being said by the representatives, those of us who are councillors, at the table, and and um, the discussion has to be such that um, if there isn't a majority, then it shouldn't be approved. Mm -hmm. So that's why I said it undermines democracy because we were elected um, and democracy, it, that's what democracy's liberal democracy is all about, is all about, right? Mm -hmm. Is it, <clears throat> and maybe this comes from, I'll ask this question in a sec, but you know, the, the point of view of Doug Ford seems to be that that kind of democracy we're talking about is an impediment to getting things done. And, I think, there, you know, we could probably have all kinds of discussions about times where things are barriers and where things are sort of the process working itself out. Um, 
do we kind of misunderstand and maybe the premier does too just sort of what what that difference is like not every objection is a barrier not every objection is like red tape right and you know we talk about liberal democracy which is the type of democracy we live in mm -hmm. but if this were a participatory democratic um model that we were working within then i could see how you know people like ford would would find that it becomes an obstacle but liberal democracy is hardly that <laughs> you know we're, we're so far from that and and i would i would prefer participatory democratic system or democracy but um we don't have that so we have to work within the in the realm of liberal democracy this is the other question I was thinking about. And I wish I had a chance to ask the premier this question, but he was a city councilor. He worked yeah. closely with his mayor, with, yeah. who was also his brother. Um, Steve Clark was a mayor. There are several members of, of the conservative caucus who were city councilors and mayors. Um, like, what do you think the Delta is? And, you know, I'm asking, I guess I'm asking you to sort of talk about what's in their heads, which is probably pretty difficult, but just, you know, they know how they would feel, right? If they were on the other side of this, be having like the reshuffling of the Municipal Act and the Planning Act and the Heritage Act and the Conservation Authorities Act, they wouldn't receive that very well. Um, I mean, so, so why, why are they making life miserable for counselors like you and, and staff at the city of Kitchener? <laughs> well, it's a good question. And, and I think it goes beyond just the strong mayor powers. I mean, I think this is the the style of ruling, and I'll call it ruling, that this government is is practicing. So it's sort of very top down. Um, I wouldn't call it a dictatorship, but there are certainly mm. aspects of it that, that are leaning in that direction that um, override um, processes that that allow people's voices to be um, taken into account. So, and it's happening across the board. Every every new bill that comes out, it's done in that way. So it, it's very frustrating. So you're a city councillor. You want to take on the role of MPP. So I imagine you have some ideas about how the job of being a city councillor and trying to make improvements on, on, on a myriad of issues can be... I guess how how the an MPP can pass legislation to make the job of a city councilor easier to address these important local issues. So I guess what are some of your ideas? Yeah. So constitutionally, the municipalities are creatures of the province. Mm -hmm. So that's part of what we're facing here. And I would say, in um, you know, pre Ford, and I can't say historically across the whole history of of Ontario, but certainly in in, in recent history. We haven't had the impositions um, that have come out of the Ford government that we're experiencing right now. Mm -hmm. So that's um, it's in that context that I'm feeling as frustrated as I am and saying that my powers are being stripped mm. of, 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 you know, from, from, from me as a city councillor and being at the um, table at the provincial level would allow me to give a voice to my constituents here in Kitchener Centre in a different way and hope to push back um, against these um, policies that the Ford government is, is introducing. Like, mm -hmm. let's repeal Bill 23. Let's, let's um, you know, bring the Conservation Authority back into the um, planning process. Let's do inclusionary zoning in a way that actually is going to 
bring us more affordable housing. So, I mean, there are many things that stop the privatization of healthcare. Um, so there are many things that I feel that if I were sitting at that table, I could be more effective in, in putting a stop there. And I know my voice on its, on its own will not. Mm. But I also believe that, um, you know, the NDP is the official opposition. And for us to save this seat puts us in, well, is in a better position three years from now when we have a general election to actually affect change, much bigger change at the provincial level. Mm -hmm. Because I think people are fed up with Ford and what he's doing. (laughs) We're the only party in a position right now that could actually um, make a a changing government. I was going to ask that too, because, um, you know, it is a by-election. It's quite often an opportunity to either affirm the, the direction of that a government is going in or, or lodge a protest vote. Um, why is the, an NDP vote the best protest vote for people in, in Kitchener Center? Yeah, because we are the balance, we have not the balance of power. We have the official, we are the official opposition. Um, so really this isn't even a, a, a protest vote. It's just simply acknowledging the, the work that Laura May Lindo has been done, been doing over the past five years and um, I know Laura May quite well. She's an academic. I'm an academic. Um, we've had many exchanges over the time of her tenure as an MPP. And um, I just look forward to carrying on her legacy. So it, it's not really a protest vote. It's, it's, are we happy with what's been done over the past five years in this riding? And if so, let's keep going because mm. there's momentum there and we can, we can grow it. I do want to talk about Laura Maylindo for a sec. Uh, she is a friend of the show. I, I, I'll, I'll say that. Um, one of the reasons she stepped down is because of she she was experiencing difficulty with the work life balance. She couldn't be yeah. a. She felt that she couldn't be a a mom to her maximum degree and also be an MPP. You have experience being a single mother and balancing work life and and uh, family life, and so I'm wondering what ideas you have going into potentially going into Queens park and sort of like trying to, I guess, make that balance a bit easier for the future Laura May Lindos uh, who might want to run for office. Yeah, I think that's really important. I mean, I know in um, city council, there was a councillor Kelly Galloway Sealock who had two children while in office. Mm -hmm. And this was before I became a city councillor. But um, council agreed and allowed her to bring her children into the into the chambers while council meetings were were taking place. And I'm not saying that that's would be in the the environment you might want to take a child into Queens Park, but that was an example of an accommodation that was made locally. And I thought that that was it really made her life a lot easier, right, to be able to 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 be that mother in in those moments. So you know, I think you know should childcare be provided for um, women with young children who are have to travel from outside of Toronto, leave their kids behind. Yeah, I think that needs to be discussed and, and figure out how it can best be done because single mothers have every, and even young mothers have every right to, to fulfill these roles and to be, you know, if they've got those political aspirations and, uh, um, you know, want to um, immerse themselves in this environment, then they should have the things in place to allow them to do that. Mm-hmm. It has to do too with sort of the changing face of politics. Uh, it's not just, you know, kind of 
the dad knows best form of government. I hate to phrase it that way, but it does right. really seem like we still kind of live there. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly women are underrepresented. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess in terms of, I, I want to ask this one just kind of for fun because uh, you have uh, one, one of the other nominated candidates in the race is uh, Ashlyn uh, Clancy, who literally sits next. I don't know if, the, if, Kitchener City Council is laid out this way, where you sit in in yeah. order of wards. Okay, but hypothetically, she sits right next to you. Um, I'm curious in terms of because she's she's Ward Ten, you're Ward Nine. So yeah. I'm curious uh, how that feels. You know, the two of you city councilors, wards right next to each other, running in the same race as competitors for a change. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is rather odd. Um, we said we spoke very early on, um, and said that you know, no matter what becomes of this, we have to continue to be um colleagues, right? So, and I think we've we've managed to do that quite well. Um, I hope she would say the same about you know my interactions <laughs> with her. So, it is it is odd there, there is somebody sitting between us because no, we don't sit in order, okay? We, we draw numbers at the <laughs> beginning of the, the term, um, so yeah. But no, we are both downtown ward councillors, so we're certainly we certainly deal with some uh, some of the similar issues. Mm -hmm. uh, one of those issues, uh, I'm going to try and do some lightning round about issues. Um, there's uh, a new hospital facility coming to Kitchener. Um, I mean, that's another intersection of the city and, and the province. Um, I, I guess, what do you want to do to make sure that uh, you know Grand River and St. Mary's have like the 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 I guess the the smoothest time possible and sort of like getting that getting that new hospital built. Like, what's kind of the the things that worry you uh, on the council end that you want to address on the MPP end? Yeah, so it's fine to talk about infrastructure, right? And <laughs> and that's a lovely way to think about healthcare, but healthcare is far more than just infrastructure. Mm -hmm. So um, I sat on the board um, in my earlier years as a city councillor of the Grand River Hospital Board. And when they started talking about laying off people, I removed myself from the board mm. because I did not want my name attached to it. Um, so I haven't sat at it, but even back then, and I forget what year it was, I'd have to go back through my CV, but um, <laughs> I forget what year it was. And um, it was probably in 2019, or 2018. It might've been when I first started on council, but that the year doesn't matter, but they were already starting to talk about um, building a new facility and so, as I said, the, to me, the most important thing is that we properly fund health care and that we stop the, you know, the hallway care. We stop postponing or canceling surgeries and um, that we get the health care um, services in order. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've heard of nurses that are working 24 hour shifts when there's when they're on a 12 hour shift, but because mm -hmm. they're underfunded, understaffed. And this is a this is a crisis that, in my mind, doesn't have to be there. Mm -hmm. So I think um, healthcare needs to be fixed, not not the building. It's not about buildings. It's about the service. Fair enough. Not privatizing, right? We don't need to privatize healthcare in Mexico. I, I mentioned earlier, I lived in Mexico for fourteen years. They have a multi multi tiered system of healthcare. Mm -hmm. the The level of healthcare that is much impacted by that multi tiered system is the public healthcare system because it's underfunded because so many of the resources end up going into the private sector. That's right. So once uh, you go down that road, it's a slippery slope. 
Yeah. Uh, Go Transit. I know that there have been a lot of uh, issues, particularly on the weekend service, like the the shuttles from, uh, I think it's the Brampton station that go, go to Kitchener. Um, how dire is that situation? And what what do you want to do to address that? Yeah, so if we're serious about, you know, addressing the climate emergency that all municipalities in this region have declared, then we shouldn't be building more highways, we should be improving our our public transportation. Well, now that GoTrain is fully public, but we should be improving those services like GoTrain, GoTransit and and Via Rail and, and even the public transportation within our own communities. So yes, go uh, all day go, through seven days a week, certainly. I think that needs to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned the environment, which is something I wanted to, to uh, definitely uh, get your comment on because uh, we, we've seen this summer uh, the climate crisis has certainly impacted us uh, here locally. It it was uh, with the smog days, uh, all the wildfire smoke. I guess um, what steps do you want to take right away to sort of address uh, how uh, Ontario is dealing with the climate crisis? Yeah, so I'm going to bring this first down to the local municipal level. Um, you know, we don't have green development standards mm. in our in that we require in our new builds. Um, for, but let me carry on the local level. Um, you know, things like, um, and I bring this up all the time at city council when we have these massive developments with six or even 12 towers on a plot of land. And I, I keep saying, can't we require them to have geothermal circular district energy plants on these sites? Mm -hmm. And I mean, we don't have the tools to require that. Right. And my council is very timid about requiring it, right? So though if that were in the the um the the provincial documents, the the um then they then they could require us to require it of the of every development. Mm-hmm. And that would make a huge difference, right? We these are sort of the bold steps that we that we could take and should be taking. Um, and of course, we know that Ford is introducing is in the process of opening three new gas fired plants. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's also again, in the in a direction that we do not want to be going. So I would and I know the NDP pushes back on that. And I would totally be behind that pushback. So there are a lot of things that we can do, at, like I said, at the local level, but we're not doing it because it's not in the planning act. And until it's in the planning act, we sit here and say, Oh, no, we can't do it. Well, I mean, it's it's very frustrating. Um, yeah. You know, solar panels, incentives, we need incentives to get people to do these things, to get solar panels on their houses or, you know, um, wind energy, which is, I know, harder in the urban setting. But there there are ways to to find um, to make these these things happen, I think. You ask any and, builder, they will tell you that the building code is the worst possible code you can have. <laughs> well, and you know, the other thing you get, and even in new buildings right now, you get these EV ready stations for part for cars. Right. They're not EV stations. They're EV ready, meaning that you come in and if you want to make it functional, you have to pay to, to make that installation happen. And um, they should be EV station parking yeah. spots. They shouldn't be EV ready. Mm. Um, you know, simple things like that. Like if you add them all together, it's just, we're not, we're not getting it right. I wanted to ask you this. What keeps you, uh, putting on your city councilor hat for a minute, but what keeps you up at night about what might come next from the Ford government in terms of how your job changes? Um, that they take, for example, planning right out of our hands. Mm. Right? 
mm-hmm. you know, the, these MTOs that they, he's actually introduced oh. at different times. Um, I could see that um, being expanded mm. um, to meet his interests and agenda. And I, I, that's one of the things, I don't know if it keeps me up at night, but, you know, as you asked me that question, that's certainly a thing that I would be concerned about. Um, yeah, so affordable housing is one of my biggest concerns. And we're not, we're not building affordable housing. You know, if you think of um, the needs, we are so far. In fact, the, the need grows as we continue to build. And um, affordability, so I was on the Kitchener's um, Housing for All strategy, and we created a subcommittee to look at what we meant by affordable. Right. And um, so the CMHC definition of affordable is 80% of market value. Right. And in the context of inclusionary zoning, which I don't do, maybe if you, I can go into details, but we don't have to, um, which would force um, developers to include a certain percentage of affordable housing in, in every build at a certain rate and for a certain period of time. Mm-hmm. In that context, what we look in this affordability subcommittee, we looked at what what is meant, what do we mean, what do we think we should mean when we talk about affordability, not 80% of market value. And um, so we started with, if you make, who, who qualifies for subsidized or supportive housing? And it's people that make up to um, a full-time minimum wage. Once you make a full-time minimum wage, you no longer qualify for subsidized or supportive housing. Right. And so we, we decided that if you took 30% of that, the full-time minimum wage, it works out to about, seven, at the time, $750, $800 a month. That's what we should be, that's what affordable should mean, that mm-hmm. we need units built at that price range, not at 80% of market value, because that's not going to satisfy the real need and keep people housed. The people that are falling off the ship are the ones that are at that full-time minimum wage level right. that suddenly can't afford rent. They end up um, living in the street or unhoused or like it's, it, I th- that's where we honed in on, on the need. Um, and of course it's, it's it goes unnoticed. Well, hopefully a little less unnoticed uh, now as, as you've proved uh, there's no such thing as a simple solution when it comes to housing. So I, I hope uh, maybe you get a chance to uh, take some more of these ideas for a test drive for now. We have to leave it. Uh, but Debbie Chapman, thank you so much for your, all your time today. Thank you. Have a good day. Okay. And that was Debbie Chapman, uh, NDP candidate for Kitchener Center still Kitchener City Councilor for Ward 9. And, uh, well, I guess we have a, a couple of months till that's going to be an election call. So mm-hmm. uh, plenty of time to get the other candidates on. And then live by election coverage, right? <laughs> <laughs> Should, we do a live- <laughs> Should we do a live to air? Like go up yeah. to Elements or something? And <laughs> Oh, yeah. Like the old days. <laughs> <laughs> good times all right that's it for this week's show we hope you liked it you could stay connected to us at our website opensourcesguelph.com or on facebook at open sources newswire and we're still on twitter at os underscore guelph if you would like to listen to our show again you can download it from our website every monday at the guelph politicast channel on podbean or through your favorite podcast app at apple stitcher google TuneIn, and spotify you can find me personally on twitter and instagram at adam a donaldson and you can check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. And I'm Scotty Hertz on Twitter, Facebook, Mastodon. Never getting on threads. Never. <laughs> Literally, no. <laughs> but if you're listening to us on the good old-fashioned FM, 
at our regular time, please stay tuned for the Turtle Island Underground. I am on threads, but I haven't posted that yet. So, oh. um, yeah, Turtle Island Underground is one of the many great programs that you will hear on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, both campus and community radio. We will, of course, be back next Thursday at 5 p.m. for another edition of Open Sources. And we will see you then. Yeah.